Welcome to the Box Out Basketball Podcast. Box Out Basketball is a resource for basketball players and coaches. We provide quality and affordable personal training from experienced coaches and players, instructional videos showing you how to improve your game at home, and a podcast that brings together the best basketball minds we can find, giving you guidance as you pursue your basketball goals. If you have found any value from this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a review on iTunes. Please share our resources with any player or coach you think could benefit. Links to our website, YouTube channel, social media pages, and contact info is all in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Here at Box Out Basketball, it's our job to give you the tools. It's your job to use them. For today's episode, we interviewed Stephen Cox of Kennesaw State and Coach Corey Baldwin of South Georgia State Junior College. Uh, So in this episode... Um, we talk a lot about what it takes to be successful on various levels of collegiate basketball. So, for example, what a Division One coach is looking for might be different from what a JUCO coach is looking for, which might be different from what a Division Two or NAI school uh, might be looking for. So you're going to get a lot of perspectives from a lot of different levels of college basketball in how to make it as a player and a coach. Um, before... I play the interview for you. Um, I do want to explain the sound situation a little bit. Um, We did this interview remotely through Skype, which means we had four people in four different locations. And so there is some... um, some bad reception, some some interference going in, but um, I think we edited it well enough to where you understand, you know, the point of what we're talking about. But uh, just wanted to apologize in advance for if the sound is a little bit off. Um, but you know that doesn't mean the, the you can't, still can't learn from and get value from the content. Uh, so enjoy this next enjoy this episode with Coach Cox and Coach Baldwin. Welcome to the Box Out Basketball Podcast. I'm Andy Rodman. And I'm Philip Brown. Today we have joining us Coach Cox, uh, Stephen Cox from Kennesaw State University, and then we also have Coach Corey Baldwin from uh, South Georgia. Thanks for joining us, coaches. Uh, thanks for having us, PB3. Hey. <laughs> PB3? Glad to be here. <laughs> Haven't heard that one yet. <laughs> As a whole. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all. So, a little background history. Uh, Coach Cox coached me at uh, Georgia Southwestern um, during my All American years, and then also uh, as we made it to the uh, uh, to the NCAA tournament for the first time. And um, Coach Cox, you coached under Coach Baldwin, or what's the story there exactly? Uh, vice versa. Uh, he <laughs> kind of did the same thing you, I did with you. I he coached me when I was at Clayton State. Right. Uh, some would man. some would say some would say it was the worst recruiting job I've done in my life. Oh, it was <laughs> always, it's always real bad jabbing. evaluating. Real bad evaluating. Always jabbing. Always jabbing. <laughs> no, but thank you all for coming on. Coming on. Um, so yeah, we just want to jump into a little background history. Uh, Coach Cox, you want to start with? Uh, how you got introduced to basketball and how it was like growing up and a little bit about your journey um, up to college and what you played at and everything. Yeah, what happened was I got a, uh, I played, the, uh, I got a scratch scratch off and I just hit $150 million out of the gate out of high school and I just struck gold being here at Kenton. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, played junior college at Middle Georgia, then played two years of Division Two at Clayton State. Finished in 04, then got right into coaching junior college in Florida. Uh, 
at Santa Fe College for three years, had a bunch of players, won a bunch of games, uh, then got fortunate enough to work under Mark Sloniker uh, for one year at Mercer University, uh, then went over to Savannah State and worked under Horace Broadnax, played with Patrick Ewing and won a national championship at Georgetown. So it did Savannah State for a year, and then uh, obviously I was at uh, Georgia Southwestern for three years as an assistant coach and uh, for the Hurricanes, and then I uh, went down, was a head NAI coach at uh, Tom's University uh, for three years. Uh, did that for a little while, started the program, and then moved on uh, to be an assistant under Al Skinner, uh, going into our fourth year here at Kennesaw State. So, um, worked at a bunch of different levels. Uh, the only level in college I never really worked uh, is Division three. so I uh, had the fortune of being a bunch of different levels other than Division three. so uh, you know, that's a little bit of background of kind of what I've done. Awesome, awesome. Um, Coach Baldwin, if you want to jump in and tell a little bit about your history. Yeah, I, uh, I'm i from Jonesboro, Georgia. Yes, sir. Yes, I, sir. Yeah, yeah. Lake And, you know, the Lake My sister was the, the better athlete out of our family. She played at Georgia Tech. She was a you know all-state player runner-up, uh, Miss Georgia, and I uh, played four years at Georgia Tech. Three-year starter, still in a lot of the record book. Looks meanwhile, I uh, you know the story. I scored 25 against Point South and called to brag about it. Point South, she had 33 that night at Alabama, so it was kind of hard to brag. But it, anyway, I went on to play at Clayton State and uh, played there four years, and then uh, after playing there, I stayed on and coached with uh, Jimmy Hebb who was a longtime assistant with Bobby Crimm and uh, coached with him for two, two years. And then we uh, he got out of it, and uh, I stayed on staff with Gordon Gibbons at Clayton State for another five years. So I was there seven years as four as a player, so 11 years in Clayton State. And then I moved on to uh, Truett McConnell. And it was a junior college. I was a head coach there for three years, and now I've been at South Georgia State for uh, 10. This will be my 10th year here. So I've been wow. in college coaching now 20 years. Oh, wow. So I'm getting a lot of experience. A lot yeah. of experience there. Yep, yep. All, all in Georgia. Mm-hmm. So, so I, guess I haven't left the state, even though I've been in some different places. Right, right, right. So when a, when a player gets recruited and what the different levels are looking for in the different types of players, like what what makes the difference between a Division One player, a Division Two player, or an NAI player, and a JUCO player? Well, I think the first thing, I think uh, a lot of times grades is number one, their academics. Mm-hmm. You can separate them before the, their talent. Uh, yes, sir. And I do know that you have to be talented to be recruited at any level, but a lot of times your, your academics can separate you immediately. A lot of people think it goes Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, NAI, JUCO. I would argue that it actually goes Division One. Of course, I would say this JUCO next, and the reason right. I would say that is that's the only level that you can go Division One if you're not in Division One. Hmm, you know, if you go sure. Division Two, you you know you're going to be Division Two. If you go to Division Three, you're going to be Division Three in AI more than likely. Uh, so you know, I I think that's one thing. So a lot of guys that are right there on the cusp of going Division One, a lot of the times. Uh, take a Division Two instead of a JUCO when they might could have went JUCO. And 
don't realize it. Their pride gets in the way because they think it's a lower level. But that's just my two cents, motive, you know, promoting uh, junior college since I've been in it 13 years. Yes, so, yeah, of course, mm-hmm. I look at it that way. But anyway. So you could have <laughs> players that are easily talented enough to be Division One, but just don't make the grades. Uh, a lot of times, correct. Or, or like, for example, I've had kids before that maybe were the second best player, third best player on a team that had two Division One guys out of high school. Mm. Where, you know, so now they don't get recruited as high because they only average nine or ten points in high school. But if they would have played at any other high school, they would average 20. So they're really a Division One player. They just maybe wasn't seen that way. They were playing a role in high school. Now they come here. Uh, you know, I had a kid from, from Savannah that did that here. He was at Savannah High School. They won state championship. He had a teammate played at LSU. had a teammate that played at Ole Miss. And then he was a junior college All-American and played at Sam Houston State Division One. Right. But, but, I mean, he, and he had good grades, but no one recruited him. He only averaged like six points in high school. So, mm. speaking of that, like, if – a lot of a big, it's a big decision for players deciding which high school to play for. You know, some sometimes you know you don't want to be too much of a small fish in a big pond and not get any playing time or exposure. But also, you know, if you play for a lesser high school, you know your competition's not going to be as good. So, from the recruiter's perspective, what's more valuable to you? Someone who's the star of a okay team? or being the third or fourth best player on a great team? So it's I like a, winners, I, personally. I like winners, so I would say they win. Uh, I'd say it's a case-by-case case basis. A better team. My bad, Cox. Oh, no. <laughs> no, it's a case-by-case case basis for us. You know, you know kind of like on a, an easy way to relate it is, you know, when you go to maybe get a traffic citation or you have to present yourself to the court, you know, the judge is going to look at a case-by-case case-by-case basis. It's, it's going to be different for every single player, you know, in the country. It's, you know, it's a lot largely, you know, Coach Baldwin touched on the whole talent thing, and I completely, I completely get that, you know, from a, from, you know, a recruiter standpoint, you know, we're only going to recruit players that are good enough. You know, you got to, you got to be able to play first and foremost from a Division One perspective, from the perspective of where I'm at. You know, and, and I used to recruit, I used to recruit this way was, was talent, was, was the first, the first thing was obviously was talent. The second thing was uh, grades and character. Now I flipped it, was now it's talent, character, talent, character, grades. And the, and the reason is, is, you know, you can get a, a kid that's good enough, but, you know, but he's, he's just not, he doesn't get it, doesn't get it cerebrally doesn't get it psychologically and then you know you got a, a good player that, that doesn't get it you know cerebrally and then obviously he's a bad player or a bad academic academically too so uh it's a case-by-case basis you know um well I, I you know from my perspective you know you find a big kid like i was just looking at a kid in, in uh, louisiana and he's a he's a really tall player he's a very very good player I know he's good enough. He's good enough. I got a chance to talk to him, you know, and what kind of kid he was, meet his dad, what kind of family background he has. You know, everything just out except the fact that he plays at a high school. High school, it goes 
well known for basketball. The coach does three or four different things. He doesn't even work at the school. Um, from my perspective, mm-hmm. because he's a good student and because he's the size that he is, basketball school like the Wheelers, like the Norcrosses, like the uh, you know, like the Mount Verde, whatever. So because he's, he's not going to be seen by potentially not going to be seen by a lot of different programs and, and we'll be able to lose, lose out on them. So, you know, it's a, it's a, you got to find a happy medium and find a good balance. Hey coach Baldwin. Yes, sir. So, um, as a JUCO coach, what, what exactly do you look for when you go out to these recruiting visits and you're sitting in the gym, you're talking with the coaches and the guidance counselors, uh, uh, what, what do you look for in a potential, uh, JUCO player? Like, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, we play a certain style and I know that's old school. Most people don't do that anymore. They just get the best, make them fit, but we kind of play a certain style. We, we, we're man to man all the time. We press all the time. So I like to get athletes that, uh, have some toughness to them mm-hmm. and, uh, toughness is a skill now. So you you have to find that skill, you know, a kid that's got some toughness. So I look for those trademark, you know, those character, those type things in a kid. And then, you know, I, w- I want to see that he's either in a winning program or he's a kid that's so hungry to win, you know, because he's not in a winning program. I have a kid now, I won't, I won't say to school, I don't want to kill a high school, but they were, they were one in 24. And I, I mean, I could just see it. In, in him, that man, he just wants to win so them bad. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that made me like him more, whereas normally I may not go in that direction. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, you you want to you want to hear him out, hear the story, and you try to make a judgment call. It's not always done, unfortunately, but you try to make a judgment with you know my personality, my my team's personality, and the way we play. So, as a JUCO, how far out uh, are you recruiting? How far out do you recruit? Uh, mainly it's, you know, all of Georgia and, 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 and uh, Florida. We do a little bit of South Carolina, a little bit. Of, uh, and then occasionally, you know, when you're in it, I've been in 20 years, you know, you, you'll get a call sometimes. We've had, you know, Texas and Ohio and different places that somehow was connected, you know, through a, you know, a player that I had or, or whatever, you know, you might hit me up with a kid you saw in a country you played for in. We might look at it if it fits. Sometimes that might work. But it's usually through a connection if it's not in those, you know, southeast areas. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned um, athletes. Um, would you would you rather take a player who's really athletic but kind of raw that you think you can develop? Or would you rather have a player that is already skilled with a little less upside but you know he can already play? Uh, it, it might determine with what our team has coming back, but most of the time, I, but it, I, I would take the athletes, you know, I know, uh, uh, you know, who's returned. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would tend to take the, uh, the athlete, you know, I would tend to take the athlete with the upside. You know, I think, uh, what guys I had returning might, might have a lot to do with who I took, but most time I would take the athlete over the skilled guy. Okay. Um, so JUCO is normally a place where, you know, it's a bridge between, you know, high school and D1. So, so what's your, what's your take on preparing guys for D1 and what do you think it takes to, to prepare guys for D1? Cause you do have such a, a, a big resume of players that you have gotten to D1 level. Yeah, I think, uh, 
you know, a lot of times uh, it's more of a mental preparation than it is a physical. Uh, you know, a lot of times they, they have to learn the, the basketball at this level, even though it's about academics, it's still a business. And they have to, they kind of have to learn that every day, clocking in, clocking out, you know, uh, coming to coming and doing weights and starting to do things on your own and learning to watch film and learning to, you know, some of those things that, that you do in high school, but, but, you know, you can only do so much because of time restraints and other requirements. And, you know, some kids on your team in high school are playing and they know it's their last years of playing. Whereas here, everybody's trying to move on. So, you know, it's way more competitive and you try to, hopefully they learn that. So when they go and play, you know, at the, at the four year, whether it's D1, D2 or where, you know, NAI, D3, that they're, they're more prepared from, from being in junior college. You know, they, they're more battle tested, I guess you would say. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. I'll, and I'll step, I'll step in then on that regard because, I mean, obviously I've played, uh, we don't typically recruit a lot of junior college players here at Kennesaw State. However, we have two on the team. Coach Skinner is always built from four-year players, five-year players, guys, you know, come in and register, play for four years type deal. He never played junior college uh, himself, but but I did. And, and I, I just remember the idea of, of potentially playing at a higher level. And I say that to say that from a recruit's perspective, that's, that's what I would want is has the will, that has the drive, that has enthusiasm, has the passion in order to play at the highest level. It's whether they, whether they, a guy that wants to play in the NBA. Obviously, most guys aren't good enough to play in the NBA, but but that, but that, that mental aspect of wanting to play at the highest level, the mental aspect of wanting to get better on a daily basis, the idea of of pushing yourself through and just getting better in different, better in different aspects of the game you know a guy that just comes in and goes through the motions and just clocks in and while clocking in is good you know we want those guys that that that, that want to move on we want the guys that have the desire we want the guys that 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 have the the inaptability to want to play. Mm-hmm. and then you know from a from an idea of uh, of where we're at always likes to recruit opposite of what we already have. So if we have a small point guard, we want to go after a big point guard. If right. we have an ath- athletic five man, then we then the second five man that we get may not be an athletic guy. He may be a skill guy. But combo guard is really athletic and, and can drive it real well. We'll go get a guy that can shoot it real well. So we always have you know, ten pieces that can do ten different things. Right. And uh, and then you know as the season moves along, you can always you know. Uh, you can always change your offense. You can change your defense to best expose the, the things that your team or your players, your top players that do well. Um, so, you know, we're not always looking for the 10. I mean, obviously, you know, we are recruiting Division One caliber players, um, but we're also looking we, – we recruit need-based. And, uh, you know, we you know we have 13 scholarships. And, uh, you know, some guys – that, that we may have in the past, you know, they're, they're good players, but, you know, maybe they produce, uh, they help us on the APR and whether, whether a good student, whether a good teammate. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I've heard when Brad Stevens was at Butler, I don't know if there's any truth to it, but he only recruited guys that won state championships because he wanted winners. Mm, right. So, you know, there's, there's different, there's different ways. 
What was the, the team that went on the tournament run? I believe like they had like a lot of their team had won state championships before. Um, Loyola, I, Chicago. That's right. Yeah, I think they, they had that oh, kind of system okay. where they were only recruiting players that came from, you know, winning programs. Like I think like half their starters or, or more than that had, you know, won state championships or, or been a part of something like that. But um, Coach Baldwin, I was, you know, uh, you guys mentioned uh, or, or Coach Cox, you mentioned, um, you know, recruiting uh, four year guys and and uh, continuity is obviously very important. And, and just being able to have guys come back and already know the system is important. So, Coach Baldwin, when you're coaching Juco, can you speak to the challenge of just having a lot of turnover and, and having to, you know, reteach the system and having guys reingrained in your know culture? I going to say. It's like Coach Calipari almost. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, you're only as good as your returners. Correct. I totally believe you're only as good as your returners, which is hard in junior <laughs> college because about every third year the balance doesn't work and, you know, you might return four guys, three guys, and, you know, media guide sales go up because everybody's new. Nobody knows who your team is. And uh, it can be a bad thing, but sometimes it can be a good thing, but it is tough. I mean, I think you, you, you almost – have to run it like a Kentucky or a pro team into in a sense where you have to have something that's always constant. So guys coming in, even if there's only two or three returners, they can help the new guys. And uh, we've tried to always kind of have a couple of things that are not going to change. You know, our defense is pretty consistent and, and our secondary stuff are pretty consistent. So we try not to change them a lot because they might be the only thing returning sometimes because right. they may not have a lot of players. But Usually our better teams are our teams where we have more returners, even even in junior college. You know, those are usually our better better teams. So mm-hmm. and it in junior college it happens some. You know, I've had some guys that are qualifiers out of high school, it means they have the grades, and they'll come here one year and you know, like we had a kid that's playing a lot of Appalachian State right now. He came one year and you know, he got the D one offer and moved on. And I that's love what we want. Guys. Yeah, I love that's what we want. Guys. We're excited for him. Uh, kind of like Cal Perry is, we'll you know go to the draft and be in the pitcher and promote right. it. But at the same time, we're behind closed doors, going, "Gosh darn it, wish we had him another year." Yeah. Right, right, you know, right. Yeah, you know. So, so yeah, so, yeah. That continuity's tough, man. So, with all that turnover, I guess, how do you um, keep the culture of of your basketball pro- program? Is this something that you have to instill, or is it something that you look for the upperclassmen to kind of trickle down to the to the lower classmen? I think we've been lucky here because we've had uh, guys that have moved on and have always kind of stayed a part of the family mm-hmm. uh, or the culture, you know. And we've had hawks guys everywhere. Hawks hashtag hawks everywhere, man. We've had guys <laughs> that, that are coaches at different places, and some that have come back and coached here. We've had guys that are coaching high schools where we've recruited their players, and they're here. And it just kind of keeps a family atmosphere, even though the turnover is very rapid. We have. Two guys on our team now currently that are cousins of former players that played here. You wow. know, just little things like that. I mean, I right. think that Those does. Those yeah, I think it helps a lot, you know, with our with our culture. And I think even though that's the most overused term in coaching, it's the most important. So, I mean, it, it probably isn't overused if, if I'm saying that. But, you know, you hear it a lot. But I, I really think, it, I mean, I think that's been our big thing here is trying to keep a, a, a family atmosphere and trying to be the anti-last-chance uh, you. Right, mm-hmm. right. You know, yeah, you know, even, you know, we don't want to, no offense to last-chance you because that's a great, 
great show and those guys win and everything. But but we don't we don't really want to have that revo- you know total revolving door of all Division One transfers going back to Division One. We want to have you know a family atmosphere here. That, and I'll just piggybacking on what what Coach Baldwin was saying. My when I coached junior college, it's actually kind of the complete opposite of what Coach Baldwin just said. <laughs> <laughs> so th- that's the beauty of the game, though. There's a bunch of different ways to skin a cat. And my very first year coaching college basketball, I was coaching at a junior college in Florida. And we had seven sophomores. Six of them were three-year guys. And mm. six of they were all – they all some of them had transferred in from other juniors, from other Division twos, from other Division ones, And the idea – of of the returners, we only really had like maybe three returners of those seven sophomores. And that year, we were number three in the country. We started off the season twenty one and zero, and you know, obviously, we couldn't we couldn't get it done in the postseason. But the regular season and the preseason, and and I think six of those seven sophomores all in the resigning Division One and going to various places. So, and but I, you know, I give Coach Baldwin a lot of credit, a lot of. You know, coaching at, at the level that he does, you wear a bunch of hats. Uh, you know, from from having a relationship with the with the uh, custodian on campus, being able to turn off and turn on the lights, and being able to control the AC on a Sunday when they're practicing at two o'clock in the afternoon on a, on a late August or early September when it's hotter than I'll get out. You right. know, to to having a great relationship with the vice president of fiscal affairs, to be able to raise an extra two thousand dollars towards scholarships. When you're at a place where you may or may not have meals to offer a guy during the week or even on the, on the weekday to having three assistant coaches that may or may not be getting paid, you know, so, you know, coaching at that level and, and being as good as he has been is a large testament to, to right. how he how he started and having that, you know, having his sister having pedigree. He has pedigree because his sister was a great player. So and then starting you know, starting from nothing because, but, but uh, a lot, of, a lot of credit goes that. And and I'll and I'll touch on this. A lot of people don't realize this, but seventy-five percent, and I would probably argue eighty-five percent of our job as college coaches are administrative. Mm. You know, we get we get two hours out of the twenty-four hours in a day to actually on the floor. We're actually coaching with a whistle, cell phone in the office, not doing anything administrative. <laughs> you know, a lot of our a lot of our job is administrative, like making phone calls, emails, scheduling. You know, uh, you know this Book and that. Hotels, uh, exactly. Being be, so, be on podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> driving in the. I'm on a seven. I'm on a seven hour car drive right now. So that's again, that's administrative. So you know, a lot of our job is is not on is not the glitz and glamour where you see the guys on TV, where you see the coach K on TV. You know, that's only two hours out of the day. Sorry. Yeah, I um, I, I coached at a, a prep school, a DME, in, in Daytona Beach, Florida. And, you know, at the time, I didn't have, you know, I had some resume, but not too much. And, you know, I came into the interview prepared to talk about my theories on, on you know, <laughs> offensive and defensive systems, yada, yada, yada. But he, the, <laughs> the coach that hired me basically just reiterated – I just need someone reliable that can take as many things off of my plate as possible so I can focus on coaching. <laughs> we, we have one of our assistants has to have a, a CDL license. 
So, <laughs> so they have to be able to drive a bus. I know that might sound crazy, uh, but you know that, that that's part of, of of how that guy gets his salary. Yeah. You know, and it's not unfortunately it's not just driving our team. It might be driving a baseball team on on a Tuesday game, and then coming back and doing practice and checking classes the next day, and then he might even drive the soccer team and miss practice a day. Uh, so it, it's one of those things, you know. Phil do, you, Phil, do you remember Curran? You remember, were you there when we had Curran? Yeah, I was there. Shout out Curran. Yeah, we, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what he's doing now, but I follow my Instagram still. One of one of the sole reasons we hired him at Georgia, and he wasn't getting paid much, if anything, right. was to do the laundry. Just, just <laughs> yeah, to, right. Just to just to take it off my plate, take it off Coach Leader's plate, so we can again what what Coach Baldwin said, or you said, or, or I think. Uh, Said just so we can focus on coaching, yes. right? Yes, it's great. So talk about that. So what, are, um, Coach Cox, you're assistant coach now, um, and you were a head coach and Coach Ball. When uh, I want you to speak to it as well, uh, what do y'all look for um, in assistant coaches and uh, um, like intern coaches and grad assistants and all of that stuff uh, for the various levels? Um, because I know that this is a podcast for up and coming coaches just as well as players. So if any coaches are getting wanting to get into coaching, uh, you know, what do you look for in an assistant coach? I'll, I'll give you. I'll uh, what give are you, you right now, Coach Cox? No, yeah, I'm an I'm an assistant coach, uh, but I, I'll tell you what. What one of my best friends in the business and, and Coach Baldwin knows him well is too. His name is Kevin Young. He's an assistant coach with the 76 in the NBA mm. and. And there's three wor- three words that come to mind that he always says, and and not just coaching basketball, but really just interviewing the jobs. But but the, the key phrase is experience is key. And when when I was a head coach, you know, I, I was looking for that. I wanted a guy that had experience. I wanted a guy that had that had worked at a bunch of different levels. I wanted a former player. I wanted a guy. That had played junior college, that had played NAIA, because I was at the time I was coached NAIA, and I know I was going to be recruiting high school players. I was going to be recruiting Division two transfers. I was going to be recruiting Division one transfers. I was going to be recruiting junior college transfers. So I wanted guys that, want, that first of all that I had a maybe I knew, maybe I didn't know, but I certainly wanted a guy that had coached a multiple levels and had done the laundry at 10.30 at night that had to wake <laughs> up at 6 o'clock to do a conditioning session on the track that had cut up film before, that had checked classes at the college level before, that had done study hall before at the college level, that had done a college scouting report, uh, that had made phone calls to prospects before at multiple different levels. And so experience is key. My, my start. Oh, I, I, I was going to say, uh, I'll have to give a Cox uh, reverse pivot. Mine would be the complete opposite. <laughs> uh, at, at our level, I need a hungry guy. You know, I, I, I need a guy that it's going to be his first time. He's going to make mistakes daily, but he's, he's hungry enough to keep, keep moving and keep going and try to be a problem solver, not a problem causer. Uh, if he's played somewhere, great. If he's played for me, which a lot, some of my assistants, you know, I have former ones and current ones have, great. You know, some we've had, we have a, uh, a part-timer who, who was a former, you know, junior college head coach and just happens to be living in this area. And for what we pay him, we get way more out of him because of experience. So in that scenario, it worked. But 
most other assistants I've ever had or first their first job in coaching was was here. Right. And we've been lucky enough, man. We've had in my 13 years, I've had 16 guys move on to either be high school head coaches or or you know other college coaches, and I even have two current college head coaches right now who've been been on my staff before. So those guys, man, I try to move them on. I tell them it's it's not a long stop. It might even be a year, three at max. Uh, and wanting to work and, and move on. Other than my current associate head coach, DJ Hardy, he's been with me uh, nine years. And he started as a student manager with me. And he's just a loyal, hardworking, do-whatever guy. You know, he'll probably be a head coach here pretty soon. But, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a guy that most people might not have hired originally because he didn't have the experience. Parents. Yeah, but he's, 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 you know, I couldn't – it'd be hard to work without him now. <laughs> So, so, so uh, I'm gonna have to try to raise some money or something, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> so um, just really quickly, if y'all would speak to um, the word of mouth aspect of it and the referral. So when you're working, how important is it to have the referral from the from the head coach that you just came from working under in order to get the next job? Uh, that, that's that big. Most important. Mm-hmm. Most important, I would think. In my mm-hmm. opinion, most important. I'm right. I, I see it from all aspects. You know, I have guys that call me, and if, if I even give a hesitant, like, hey, look, he's getting there, but he's not at this, they mm-hmm. may be done. They're not going to hire him. And right. I have to be honest. I'm not trying to trip the kid or the young right. coach. But, but and I, you got to protect your you got to protect your word at, at the end. Correct. Because mm-hmm. those coaches they are not call you again, right? to, Yeah, they're going to come back to you one, one or yeah. another, you know, favorite so, one. Yeah, so I see that, and then I see it the other way out too, where I might call a, a, a you know a young guy trying to get in it. You know, how was he as a player? How was he? You know, the year he was a GA or a volunteer or whatever. You know, the, the, what that head coach says, unfortunately, is probably gonna gonna skew me one way or the other immediately. I would think. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the <laughs> no, I, I I would say, is it my turn? <laughs> yep. uh, we gotta share the ball, man. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna shoot it. I'm not a passer. You're a passer. <laughs> I'm gonna shoot. But uh, I uh, it's important to have guys that you your reference page that have no qualms about saying a, a piece or two that is positive about you. Like I've always been, and I've been to coaching clinics. I've been to camps. I've been to you know coaching roundtables, and I've been on the road and. And just being in the business for 15 years, everybody says the same thing. It's all about who you know. It's all about who you know. It's all about who you know. And I 99.9% agree with that because you, you got to have you know, people on your resume, people that on your references that's going to be able to pick up the phone and A, either call or B, say a good thing or two about you when they do call. When I got hired here at – but here's the point one percent is when I got hired here at Kennesaw State, uh, I didn't know Coach Skinner at all. I didn't have anybody call on my behalf. I didn't call him a thousand times. I didn't send him a couple emails. I didn't send him anything in the mail. I didn't just show up on campus. Uh, I did have a reason to call him, and we were able to speak for a few minutes, and I, I followed up with a, just one email. And, and fortunately, I got called uh, on, on a twofold reason. A, I was from the area, but B, he had called one of my references. And fortunately, my reference that they somewhat knew was able to speak a good thing or two about me. So, must not uh, have been me, right? No, heck no. <laughs> but uh, but 
but but but but again, that kind of goes back to you know having somebody that you trust that can that can say a good good piece or two about you. Um, and and again, I think that comes from the experience factor of being working at a couple different places and. And, and, and while it is good and shows stability, it shows continuity to be at one place for seven years. That's, that's great. That's fantastic. Uh, but it's also, but that's only one head coach, you know, right. being, having, having the idea of having two head coaches on your resume that can speak on your behalf is, is also a huge positive. Now, um, one of the biggest challenges of making it in the coaching industry is just the fact that the pay is so low when you're starting out and um, a lot of people kind of don't push past that. And I think a lot of coaches fall off for that reason. So what advice do you have to young coaches in terms of, I don't know, managing your finances or just, you know, being okay with not making a lot of money in when you're starting out? Well, I, I think in uh, coaching is no different than uh, teaching or no different than uh being in the ministry, uh, you, even if you're not spiritual, you're, I think it has to be something you have a calling to do. You feel like it, it's your life, uh, you know, it's complete with that, and you're, 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 you you feel like you're you need to be in coaching to help people and, and other things like that. Uh, if you're just doing it to to get the big job and make seven figures, that's that's as tough as winning the lottery. So you probably don't need to do it. You know, I, I, I would say that it's easy for me to say it because I'm, I'm still on the, uh, the bottom floor working up. I, I do think, you know, I, I do it for more reasons than just the paycheck, for sure. You got to really want it. <laughs> you got to really want it. Um, and one thing I, I learned, uh, Stan Jones, he's the associate head coach of Florida State, works under Leonard Hamilton. Uh, he spoke one time, and, and you just got to be a self-starter. Uh, and then another thing is you got to be able to survive. You know, my, my, <laughs> first seven, my first seven years in the business, I worked as a part-time employee, and one year I worked for free. You know, and, and so no, you know, nobody should ever have to work for free, uh, but but some people have. It's, some people have it, but you really got to want it, and it, it, it can. In a city, I can't speak for everybody, but it can kind of take over your life a little bit if you allow it to. Um, but you really, really got to want it. And, and money can't be, you know, the forefront of your eyes. I mean, everybody obviously wants wants that break and make $7 million like Coach K. Obviously, I mean, that's a little bit uh, – who wouldn't want that? But but at the, at the same time, you have to have a little bit of a reality check too. And, and you, you just really got to be a self-starter and you really got to want it. And then on, on a similar note, you know, one of the things I notice is usually when you're starting out um, – you, you pretty much just have to take whatever job is available. And oftentimes that's in, you know, some rural city in a very obscure part of the country that, that it, can you speak at least to the, um, just that, that aspect of just, you know, just moving to an unfamiliar place. Like the chances you're probably not going to get to live in a Atlanta, New York, LA, you know, when you, when you're starting out, it's often like rural Arkansas or wherever else. <laughs> You know, I just had an assistant uh, in the past four years. He, he's been uh, he's taking jobs in uh, small town Georgia, small town Tennessee, small town Arkansas, and uh, now he's a, a head junior college coach in small town Georgia, and uh, he's taking his his poor young young marriage along with it. 
and you know it's tough, but I, I think uh, he'll look back and probably enjoy in memory enjoy those years a lot more than he did when he was doing them because it you know that's usually the way it works. But I do think he got you know everybody's got their thing. Uh, if this is really what you want to do and you're willing to live anywhere, you know you'll have a better chance to do it. Uh, if you start closing doors, you know I'm only going to stay in the southeast, then you know it's going to be a little tougher. And if I'm only going to stay in a certain state, it's going to be even tougher. So I think you have to, you know, you have to be willing to make those moves and and uh, you know you use the job to help help keep your social life alive. Maybe you have friends within the athletic department or within the you know faculty and staff of the college. I mean, that might be a way to keep your sanity as as you're making those moves going all over the country and like you said usually in pretty bad cities a city might be a bad term try tangled i guess <laughs> probably be the right way to say it you know <laughs> and, you, and you hope you're near like here i'm in waycross it's not a booming metropolis it's not quite chicago or new york but you know i'm an hour from, i'm an hour from jacksonville so you know you kind of you know when you want to take family somewhere where there's more than than the people you see every every day at at Walmart, you can make that, you know, 55-mile ride down. You know, you, you, you hope you're in one of those places. Hmm. You may not be, though. I've heard, I've heard of a lot of worse, for sure. It might, it might be how you view it, too. That that first job where you're making, you know, a $5,000 stipend and a free place to live, you know, as a Division II assistant coach or NAI's third assistant coach or a junior college first assistant coach, it's, it, it could be, you could view it as an internship. You know, I'm going to do this, you know, it's, it's, it's no different than being an intern at Google or Amazon or, you know, maybe an intern with a law firm where they may be may either paying you a, a stipend, paying you per hour and not paying you at all. You know, it's all about how are you using this as a tool to get to where you want to go? Are you using this? You know, I think some of the years when I was working at Santa Fe, I was maybe I would I would do an extra scouting report because I was vying for a video coordinator position uh, at, a, at a different place or I would cut, I was cutting up film so I was like, you know, let me cut up this film I'll be the best video coordinator because I wanted to, at that time I wanted to get a video coordinator job and, and so it's all about how it's all about how you use it and use it as a, using it as a tool to get to where you want to go and um, what, what can you say about just balancing um, the career with with having a family? Um, just because it, it just takes so much time, and how, how do you make sure that you are, you know, spending time and giving attention to uh, you know wife and kids? Man, it's I think it's the toughest part of the job. I, I do think that you hope you get a wife that uh, you know unconditionally loves you, so uh, they'll they'll be a part of the. Of the of the mission that you you've gotten yourself into of helping you know young young, young guys become men and uh, you know that they won't get tired of watching uh, you know or having you watching film and all those things but you try to take your kids along maybe on a scouting trip or recruiting trip you try to turn a uh, you know a, a recruiting trip into a, a family time you know you try to juggle a lot of things when you can take time off you try to spend it with them. You know, my kids come to practice sometimes, you know, and, and my little guy, he'll probably end up playing without me wanting to just because he's always around it, you know, and uh, you kind of enjoy those times, you know, uh, together. You, you end up just having to try to, uh, 
try to balance it and involve both with each other as much as you can, even though sometimes that may not be ideal. But I'm lucky. I got, I got a wife that's been very supportive of me. You know, I was already in coaching for six years when we got married. So, but she's been been with me for you know, married for 14 of them and been with me for for 16 of them. Oh, that's 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 certainly the million dollar question. Anybody can figure that out. I'd, I'd certainly like to know. I was on the downfall of it, but, but but definitely figuring out how to find the balance is, you know, that's that's I guess that's another key to it. Is you know, well, one one tactic I tried to use is from eight p.m. to nine p.m. I would just put the phone down. You know, no phone calls, no texts, no emails, just so I can have that time right before my son goes to bed, and I can have that time with my wife at the time. Is, is I can focus all my energy and efforts on being a husband and a father. And, uh, you know, he kept playing little little game, little tactics, you know, as that is, as Coach Baldwin alluded to. And then, you know, there's obviously we travel a lot too. And, and, and while I'm on the road for five days and I may not be able to pick up my son, uh, you know, during the months of April, May, June, and July, when I'm a little bit home often more, is I'm able to pick up my son at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Whereas... You know, if you're, you know, working downtown Atlanta and you're a big shot lawyer or whatever, you may not be able to pick up your son or daughter up on a Tuesday at three o'clock or Wednesday at three o'clock or for three straight days, I'm able to pick them up at three o'clock. So, um, yeah, just again, finding the balance and having, having certainly an understanding family, knowing in your family, knowing that this is how you feed your family. I want to know the, um, the relationship between uh, more more about the relationship between a JUCO coach and a college coach. Uh, you two are obviously familiar with each other. Um, do you all communicate and talk about you know different tactics or whatnot, or how's uh, that go? What, what's your all's relationship now as far as coaching wise? Well, usually with Cox, I'll call and find out you know things I wouldn't want to do. <laughs> You know, coaching or, or, or ways I wouldn't listen to this guy. Now, now, honestly, now normally I, uh, you know, with, with, with Steven, we talk, you know, every day, every other day, you know, and a lot of times it might be more about the off the court stuff. Hey, I got a player that's, you know, he's not bringing it every day. You know, what, what would, you know, what do you think about that? And, you know, he'll give me a couple of things. And then, you know, he might do this, you know, the same thing back at me or, or, or whatever, you know, a lot of times it's more of those uh, relationship type questions, motivation type stuff, uh, you know, and because we've known each other for so long, a lot of times we can point at, hey, man, you're probably forgetting, but remember you had the one kid when you were at, you know, Georgia Southwestern, you, you did that and it worked, you know, maybe, you know, or, lead, or leader did that or whoever that you worked for did that, you might want to try that again, you know, and, and those things help each other and then mainly just support it for each other because we both know each other you know so well sometimes i'll just call cox and vent for a little bit because i don't like to do that a lot with people you know outside the family type thing and then he'll do the same with me sometime uh you know so i think i think those things help a lot with other four-year guys that i'm not as close with as cox a lot of times you know you might throw ideas out and about you know exit and owen or or different things sometimes you know like you know, why do you guys run this or why don't you do this? And, and man, you, you can steal a lot of ideas and, and use a lot of things. That's one of the advantages of being in junior college. You get a lot of access to four-year coaches, you know, a little easier maybe than, than some other levels because they're recruiting your guys. So they got to be kind of nice to you. And you can take advantage of that, you know, and watch a practice or whatever and learn some stuff.
Yeah, I, I get my 8 a.m. call from CB every morning. <laughs> and, and, and Wake up call. Some, yeah, sometimes I'm able to take it. Sometimes I'm not. But uh, you know, I, I use it. I, I use it as a as a vehicle because I know CB wants to coach till he's about dead. <laughs> and so, I, however, I don't. You know, when I'm 60, whatever, I'd like to become an athletic director or you know, be in administration at some point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what, the on those day, yeah, <laughs> crossing over to the dark side. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, but uh. But on, on those days where uh, I may or may not have, have given all, uh, you know, coaching piece of it, I can always call CB and he's going to be enthusiastic about his job and, and, you know, how do you view this, view that. And maybe we're not frustrated after a or whatever. He's, he's got something. And, and just because I know his system so well, I had the press work today or who won the ladders or just because I know his system so well, it's kind of a refresher. <laughs> I'm like, just – just how, just how you know how I was brought up in, in the college college system and working and playing for him back back when I did. But mm-hmm. um, and I will back dribble. I'm actually I'm gonna take a big back dribble right here. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not gonna reverse pivot. I'm a I'm a back dribble. I want to touch right. on kind of going back to <laughs> going back to the, the recruiting piece on on players. We dealt, we talked about the coaching piece of it for for a minute. I want to go back to Know, evaluation of players and recruits that that never really gets talked about. That, that if I could give a good recommendation to players on how to get recruited or how to get exposure, um, mm. is we love that having good having good hygiene mm. and 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 wearing appropriate clothing all the time and and, and taking showers <laughs> on a regular basis. <laughs> Is I see it all the time in July, and I know guys <laughs> play in like one or two games in in a, in a day, and they may not have time to go to the go to the hotel or whatever. I mean, I get that; that's fine. But 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 not wearing your pants halfway down your ass and, and, and keeping them up and and keeping you know keep, just keeping keeping your stuff tight and, and combing right. your hair and and, and keep, or maybe keeping it braided or keeping it clean or shaving on a regular basis, like. You know, when, when, when we're out in July, we get the opportunity to see thousands and thousands and thousands of players. So you may only have about five seconds or ten seconds for me to evaluate you before I move on to the next guy. And and, and like it or not, that's that's the truth of it. You know, I, I may be able to see a team shoot layup lines for about five minutes until I got to get to the next court and go see another kid. So what you do in those layup lines I gotta make a decision on whether or not I like you or not. And is that a fair evaluation? Absolutely not. If you wanted the fair, go to the Georgia State Fair and, and where is the C B where's the where's the Georgia State Fair? It's in it's in Perry, Georgia. I go Perry, Georgia. If you, if you want the Georgia if you want fair, go to the Georgia State Fair in Perry, Georgia, because it ain't fair. But that's the reality is, right. is is you may only get those two or three minutes or thirty seconds to to, to show somebody what you got. And, and you, you know, never it, know when the eyes are on you, like you said, mm-hmm. layup line, you know. Some people don't think that important, but that matters. Yeah. And one thing that one thing that Mike Bray touched on is sometimes he'll go watch a kid play and he'll watch the parents just as much as he'll watch the player. Mm-hmm. How do the how do the parents react? 
Hey, I can I just, tell you this. I can tell you this story. I tell it to my team all the time. I had a point guard, and uh, a school had come to see him, and uh, they couldn't have picked the worst game to come to. I think it was the only game we lost that year by double digits, and we lost 25. And uh, unfortunately, it was one of those where I'm, I'm sure you've been been there as a player or a coach where you're getting blown out, and the best thing to do is make the starters sit out and watch it the last 10 minutes. They don't need to be in there playing anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, we, you know, I decided to make that that point. And uh, the the kid cheered the whole time and was talking to the backup point guard. And, you know, really was right. encouraged in the game. And we're walking off the court after losing by twenty five, ready to you know spit fire. You know, and uh, the the head coach of this program grabbed me and said, "Hey, look, man, I know you're not real happy right now, but I wanted to let you know I'm going to offer the kid tonight." Mm-hmm. And I remember wanting to be like, "What is he?" And that guy's an idiot. <laughs> you know, what game was he watching? You know, I, and so I said, really? Well, that's awesome. I appreciate it. He goes, well, I want to tell you why before you go in the locker room. And I was like, please do. And then he proceeded to say, man, that kid cheered his, like y'all were winning by 20. He said, man, I want that guy in my throat. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, I know not everybody's going to have that same story, but, I mean, there was a, the kid was good enough. His staff was good enough. I think the assistant had seen him enough. And that just sold the head coach right there, seeing him being competitive even when it wasn't competitive. The body language right. has to be a yes. huge thing. So, like, right. if you see a kid get – like, we talk about a lot, like, when you get subbed out, do you pout? Do you look like you're mad that you got taken out? Or do you, you know, high-five the guy coming in, tell him the assignment, and when you're on the bench, are you loud cheering him on? You know, the, the some of the stuff that people just don't understand, and, and, and I'll throw this my two cents in since uh, Cox got on his soapbox. Mine is uh, mine is being okay with not being a star. You know, there's so many guys that are stars that wasn't always stars. You know, Aaron Rodgers was a junior college quarterback. How many people know that? You know, there's 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 things. You know, uh, James uh, James uh, Winston was a red shirt. You know, how many people know that? Johnny Menzel, he was a red shirt. They're both Heisman Trophy winners. But yet, kids are are too big to be red shirted now, or they're too big to go to a junior college. I mean, these are, these are avenues to get what you need, not, not deterrence. And sometimes right. people look at them wrong and I don't know if it's society. I don't know if it's parents. Pressures. I don't know if, yeah. yeah. You know, but I'm telling you, man, those, those are not negatives. They're positive, man. And people don't look at them the right way. And, and sometimes it's how it's sold to them or how it's told to them or, or parents just can't handle, you know, their kids, you know, being a red shirt, they wanted him to start. But, man, he's in college. He's on the team. Do you not understand what can come from that? Right. And, and sometimes people just, they, they're missing the opportunity because it's not the opportunity they wanted. But, man, I mean, the scenarios we just gave you, obviously they made him the opportunity they wanted. Well, you could you, know? you could go from being a role player. Like, let's say the only reason you're on the floor is because you get rebounds and set good screens and play defense. And then Correct. you use that to get playing time, and that playing time helps you develop. And then maybe you work on your ball handling and shooting, and then you can become a scorer later on. But the Correct. only way you're going to get better is with playing time that you're only going to get through the rebounds and the screen setting and the passing and the defense and all that. Yeah. Correct. Correct. That, I mean, I that, think... that... Go ahead, Kyle. No, I, and that's, that's a good point. Like, we at Kennesaw State from the from a player to player development standpoint, we don't do a lot of drill work. We, we we break down guards and forwards for ten minutes and then we play. Like Coach Kennedy's an old timer. He played in the NBA, did this and that. You know, he got better through playing. Actually, you know, 
playing in the game and playing in a five-on-five setting in, in, in the half court and in the full court. So we do a lot of playing, and, and that's how he feels. Like, you know, here you can play through your mistakes, and we want players to play through their mistakes. That's how, you know, on the mental aspect of it is is how you get better. And, and, and kind of picking back in what, what Coach Baldwin was saying about the body language, where, whereas I 100% agree with it. However, I'll give you a pass fake is Troy Bell. I had the I had the pleasure of seeing him play a little bit in college. Not a lot. Coach Baldwin probably saw most of us four, but 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 Troy Bell is one of the all time leading scorers in Big East history, if not the all time leading scorer in Big East history. Played played at Boston College from Minnesota. Played with the Memphis Grizzlies. Played overseas for a very very long time. Six two, quick as hell, lightning shooter, mm-hmm. and. I mean, he was a double-digit scoring his four years at Boston College. Great, great college player. Had the worst body language when he came out of the game. But he was the type, like, he would, he would, he would sulk his head, he would lean back, he'd put his arms on the chair. And, but, when it, but when it was his t- his name called, when he was on the floor, he was playing. So that, 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 that kind of goes back to the, the, the mental aspect of the game, the cerebral aspect. That came in the evaluation process when he was a youngster, when he was in high school. So, like, it's it's, but it's not always about you go evaluate players. It's not always about running high and jumping high and dunking and this and that and playing hard. I like playing hard. It's it's the mental approach to the game. It's 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 pushing through how how hard something may be. It's pushing through being able to 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 turn. You know, a negative into a positive. The mental aspect of the game is just as. But really quickly, before we kind of wrap it up, I wanted to know from you all. You've coached various different types of players that made it to different levels. What what is what are some things that separate the the college players from the professional players that you've seen? Like how do they? I think uh, uh, you know every scenario is different, but but for me, normally. The guy that's that next level, it's attention to detail. He may not even have it when he's with me, but you see him get it. And then all of a sudden he might become that that pro. Uh, but I think it's the talent, number one, attention to detail, you know, is what separates, you know, the, the, the high level to the elite, in my opinion. The attention to detail as far as wi- willingness to work on some smaller things, willingness to, to make, you know, the extra time in the weight room, uh, Willingness to condition even when it's not conditioning time. And uh, uh, Cassie Russell speak last week, and uh, I know I'm getting a little off topic, but Cassie Russell said when he was at Michigan, you know, he tried to beat his mile time every year in conditioning that they would do because not because he was he wanted every year because he wanted to beat his own time. He wanted to prove he got better, even right. though that wasn't. And, I mean, that guy was a longtime pro, you know, NBA champion with the Knicks. I mean, I think those are guys who are just so competitive. competitive and just, you know, the, the term a lot of coaches use, they got that dog in them, you know. I do I do think that helps. You know, they, that does help. And I know, again, we can give scenarios. Uh, Cox may give us the Bell story again and say that's not everybody. But I think the majority of them would be the ones that are in that, you know, that Kobe Bryant killer mode, you know. Uh, and then, you know, he's an elite of the elite of the elite, but still, I mean, that those, build. yeah, that build, I think that, you know, that, that character and I've been fortunate enough to coach some of them. It's also fun to coach. Them. 
McCrone knows, you know you don't have to motivate a lot. You just coach. Self-motivated. You go out there and get it. Yeah. What yeah. anything, Coach Cox? Yeah, no, the, I think one thing that separates a good college player from a pro, and it's something that you may or may not be able to control is your size. You know, when you, when you talk about great college players being professionals, some things that, again, again, you may not be able to control is how tall you are. But, but that, that shouldn't be an excuse to not, not to, not to try. But, but we had a guy a couple years ago here at Kennesaw. He wasn't the biggest guy, but the other thing, what, what Coach Baldwin touched on was the killer. I would say the, the, the constant killer is doing it on a consistent, do, doing the extra on a consistent basis. Like with this kid, was a was a we'd have to slow we'd have to tell him to stop because his dad would come to town his dad would train him his older brother played in Italy his older sister played in Slovakia like he had pedigree like he would be an hour there before practice getting them shots he would practice hard for two and a half hours and then go run stadiums when he was done and after he was with stadiums he would get one of our we would get one of our managers and get him five hundred shots and this was in the middle of February. And the heart of conference time, like, yo, man, you got to relax. We need you in March. So, right. like, but that was him. He was wired differently. I think that's why Colin Sexton, and I know we're talking about NBA, but yeah, I saw well, Colin Sexton when he was a sophomore and junior in high school. There was always well, something a little bit different about that kid. And he just had that killer in him consistently. And uh, just that con- that constant killer. Doing something on a consistent, waking up at 6 a.m. every single day and doing that dang thing on a consistent basis. Right. All right. Um, well, you guys, uh, just any any final thoughts? Um, you know, any anything you want to leave us and listeners with? I would just say thanks for having me on. Keep promoting basketball. Uh, and, uh, you know, hashtag Hawks everywhere. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. Thank you for coming on. I'll, I'll leave you with a simple uh, a simple line uh, from a from a, a coach trying to make his way up to a player trying to make his way into becoming a, a college player. This can go for both aspects. Is Ernest Crumbly said it the best? He's a head coach at St. Pete College. He's in the Hall of Fame in the Florida Junior College ranks. His only rule that he has for all of his players, and again, this comes for coaches on the on the right. Do right. Do right. Just do right. <laughs> do right. Do right. That's true, baby. Sir. I like that. <laughs> but no, no, PB3, I appreciate you having me on. Andy, thank you for the time. Yes, sir. And, uh, again, thanks for having us. Yeah. We appreciate good. both of you for coming out and uh, speaking to us. We'll both have you all on again to have a, um, a season preview so you can showcase your team a little bit. Uh, much obliged. Awesome. Yes, awesome. Appreciate it. Yeah, it thank fun. you. Thank you for coming on and uh, good luck this season. Yes, sir. Got it. I, I, Philip, keep, Philip, keep repping Elka, man. Yes, sir. Will do. <laughs> we out here. <laughs> All right, man. Thank you for listening to this last episode of the Box Out Basketball Podcast. Remember to check out our YouTube channel, website, and social media pages. Links to all are listed on the show notes. Here at Box Out Basketball, it's our job to give you the tools. It's your job to use them.